Hi, I'm Julia. And I'm Sam, and you're listening to the 29-Hour Podcast. This week, we talked to actress, Walla artist, and according to Wikipedia, former lyrical theatrical performer, Dana Steingold. Hope you enjoy. No, I, I always think it's funny, because like you do these like talkbacks or whatever, and like mm-hmm. some sometimes the questions are so... I'm like, oh, do they not like tell you this at school? Like... That this is a thing? Like you know, what sort of stuff? I mean, just like they'll ask questions about like how things happen with like vacations, like um, when you take a vacation or breaks or right. like, I'm always like, there should be like an understudy yeah. class in there school is, and like, everybody yeah. should like, have to take it. I can't, I can't <laughs> even count on both hands, like the amount of times that I've heard someone ask, like, so what's the difference between an understudy and a swing and a standby? And it's like. Right. It, it just seems like it should be common knowledge. Well, and it's also, there's like a lack of respect in general, I think, for that track. And yeah. it's like mm-hmm. the most difficult and yeah. the most thankless thing you'll do yeah. also. Because people are like automatically sort of like wanting to not enjoy your performance as much and thinking yeah. you're subpar. Which is also usually not the case. Usually That's those people are the most talented because they're multifaceted true. and can they're do any of so the tracks. They're so versatile. <laughs> yeah, and like people just don't treat them that well. Yeah. And like like cast members, I'm always like oh, really? surprised. Huh. Yeah, they're just kind of sometimes rude about it. And I was like, you've clearly never covered before. Oh, <laughs> like wow. everybody should be required to do it. Have you I covered? Like, yeah, my first job out of school, I covered all the girls in Spelling Bee oh. before I took over. Oh, I see. And like... I was like, no, you don't know. You, <laughs> you, everyone should do this. And I was like, there has to be a way in college where you like, either they cast covers and you have to like learn the tracks, or there's like a s- class where you have to they stage something and you all have to keep tag teaming out. Oh wow! Because they you don't teach you how do to do it, yeah. and it's you have to like come up with your own system of like. I was a color coder personally, uh-huh. but not everybody is. Because <laughs> you know I mean? it also teaches you a skill. I feel like I feel like some people are really like some people just can't probably do that successfully and learning in school oh this is a thing i can do because i can learn this much material and i can be that versatile and like like really compartmentalize i don't think i could ever do it as an ensemble track i think that is so difficult people Uh who do that and learn multi-dance tracks yeah because you have to like works but like you have to know the choreography but then you also have to know like where you are on stage with everyone else people yeah to be fair i did it in a 10 person show so it's like you can only go so far yeah. without like disrupting somebody, but in like a huge giant ensemble number with like thirty-five people yeah. on stage, I, I don't know how those people do those it. Those big like dance formations where like if you take a step in the wrong yeah. direction, you're like like toppling. Oh, it's like bowling pins. Yeah, <laughs> I can't imagine. That's well, my worst nightmare, actually. Wait, so y- I didn't realize that um, you did the spelling bee tour right after graduating. I booked it right before I graduated. Uh-huh. I left my graduation, actually, to go to the final callback. Oh, well, that's great. Mm-hmm. And then I went on opening night <laughs> with no rehearsal. Oh, really? my God. That was, like, my welcome what? to the professional world. Wait, so, wait, so you, Logan. You, you were on the tour from the start as a swing. So the way they situated the tour was that it started on a Lort contract in Atlanta uh-huh. at, um, oh, gosh, the Alliance. And... That contract didn't involve covers. Okay. So we were all cast, but we weren't allowed to be present at huh. rehearsal because Equity said we couldn't be unless they wanted to pay us full production salary already. Right. So they were like, it's no big deal. We'll then rehearse them. We'll fly James and the associate back. You guys will meet in tech in Baltimore, which was like the first city. So they were also putting in covers for 
San Francisco and Boston, but they are in a thrust like the Broadway company and we were in Proscenium. Oh. So we were learning multiple versions of the show all at once, learning oh, multi-tracks. Wow. We had four days to learn three tracks. So essentially we just kind of had a music rehearsal <laughs> and then they were like, you'll go to eight and then like, well, you'll see where they go, but you'll have so much time when you get there. And I got there and um, she was ill and they were sort of like, it's going to be fine. She's totally going to go on. And literally she made it through um, the first word. She made it through cystitis. And then James the Pine literally was like, tapped me on the shoulder <gasps> and was like, you're on. Whoa. <laughs> I didn't oh even have a God. costume. Like they Whoa. weren't ready yet. Wait, so what happened? Um, they handed me a speech to memorize, like literally on stage. And um, they did like a little pause. And then they were like, Logan Schwartz and Grubinier's twin sister, Logan Schwartz and Grubinier, <laughs> <laughs> will be taking over. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious, actually. Thank God for like Jen Samard, who's like wow. a genius yeah. on her feet at just improvising. Wow! And that is how I made my professional debut. And that was that was like a couple weeks after graduating. Yes. So I and actually James Lapine said to me, he's like, "Isn't this what you got into the business for?" And I was like, <laughs> "No." <laughs> like they do like, not tell you stuff like that happens. Yeah. Was <laughs> it just like like how did you process that? How did I process that? I mean, I mean, like, 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 um, going from that school environment that's so like regular, well, re- regimented. Yeah, I mean, I think luckily I came from NYU, which is a little less so. I think it's a little more like you kind of, I don't want to say you create your own curriculum, but they definitely encourage like more exploration okay. than I think like other schools do. And I think had I come from a more, um, I don't want to badmouth another school because there's <laughs> so many excellent programs that like are very the kid everybody comes out very very good but it's also they sort of are within their own box yeah you know what i mean they don't think outside of it and it gets them a lot of jobs because it's like people know exactly what to do right um but thinking on their feet is not necessarily their um strength but they're really good at staring at a point on the wall and like serving it up to you in a, in a room <laughs> but, um, yeah i was sort of like okay and thankfully everybody was like super kind and was like go to two like they would just like sort of like toss me around where I needed to be and I had watched it at that point enough in New York that I sort of knew what was happening and I was off book because they tell you to like do that I guess Mm -hmm. but yeah I certainly did not um foresee that being like my entryway into the business but in the in a weird way it was the best possible way to go on because I had no nerves because I didn't have time to have any nerves and be like oh no what if I mess this up and everybody was there, like, all the producers, all the writers. <laughs> it was, like, terrifying, actually. Like, <laughs> afterward, I was like, oh, my God. Because <laughs> you don't realize what you're doing. Yeah. You're just sort of, like, your adrenaline is going and going and going. But it's got, it is heroic. I feel like after that happens, everyone must have been just like, oh, thank God for Dana. Yeah, and then I ended up going on so much um, in that track, and then I took over that track. But... Yeah. Oh my God. It was totally crazy. And we used to joke because we were like, well, no one will ever have as good a story as that. But then in this business, like every, you have so many more stories and you're like, I think it can't get worse. And you're like, no, it can get worse. (laughs) This isn't worse. But do you know, did you know Felicia Ricci at all? Uh Uh-uh. She was a standby for Alphaba on Wicked in San Francisco. And her first time on was also mid-show it was a tap on the shoulder and the very first thing she had to do her first time on was fly in and sing defying no. gravity that's where they put her in <laughs> that's the worst wait. oh wow 
that wow the actress just got sick in the middle of the show and couldn't oh, continue man. and and she just came on and she just went right up that cherry picker. yes wow yeah. unbelievable i know and like for me it was like james the pine who i grew up i mean i have watched that sunday in the park with george video like I can't even count how many times like I told my mom that I really she she asked me why I liked it so much and I was like I really just I feel all the things Dot feels and she was like should I be concerned because <laughs> <laughs> you're like 13. like why are you responding to Dot I don't know uh, <laughs> oh wow so it was like all these people who were like my idols and I grew up listening to like a lot of Bill Finn stuff yeah. and at the time that was sort of I just like loved falsettos and then elegies had just happened and I and it was just this huge moment, and I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this in front of all of these people. Um, Isn't that a bizarre thing, that the business is small enough that I have that experience all the time of, like, being closer to my idols than I thought I would ever, ever be? It's so yes. bizarre. I always say that I feel like once a year or so I get some weird small theatrical gift where I get to do something really cool like that, and you're like, wow, I can't believe I'm in this room with people. Like... Yo, one year it was Anyone Can Whistle and like Don Murphy got to slap me across the face and I was like, that's a theatrical gift for the year, <laughs> the year 2008. Like that's what it is. Um, or like you'll end up doing, oh, like, or like the Actors Fund um, production of The Visit came out of nowhere and I was like, I guess I get to play scenes with Cheetah Rivera and John Collum this week. That's a theatrical gift for the yeah. year, you know? That was actually, I had a similar experience when we did The um, Loneliest Girl in the World at NAMPT with Michael Bress directing. Yeah. He, like, I, when I went to college, I did not think I was going to go into theater. And my freshman year, I, like, didn't do anything theater-related. And then the summer between my freshman and sophomore year was when they did the Chorus Line revival. They were out of town in San Francisco before they moved into New York, and that's where I'm from. And so I saw it that summer, and I was just like, this is amazing. Like, why did I ever think I didn't want to do this? And yeah. I went back to school and I like, like, like fully committed to being a theater major and like getting to work with him um, two years ago and doing that. It was just like this beautiful moment. And it, like, it did not disappoint. Like he, he, and he was such a part of that, of me stepping into the business. And now I get to work with him and it's incredible. My first it's moment so like cool. that. I also am like, I'm a humongous Bill Finn fan, who I only, like, I used to think of him as William Finn because that's, like, what it says when you buy sure. the CD. <laughs> and then you and meet him and you're like, oh. <laughs> so my first time meeting him when I went to NYU, the, he does this class where the lyricists, like, work on lyrics and bring them in, and the composers all sit in a ring outside, and he'll, like, read a lyric, and if he likes a lyric, he'll call on one of the composers from the outside ring to go set it in an hour and come back before oh, that's the class so cool. is over. So my very first day meeting him, like my first week at, or my first month at NYU, I get, you know, plucked. He has no idea who I am, but I get picked at random to go set a lyric. And I run downstairs and I like set the lyric and I run back up and he listens to it and he goes, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't think it's good, but play it again. And I play <laughs> it one more time and he's like, no, wait, like there's something there. This is brilliant. Play it again. And I, I play it a third time and he's like, uh. I just don't know. <laughs> it was like such a roller coaster of hero worship. You basically just described my final callback for spelling me too. <laughs> no, I mean not really, but it's like <laughs> it's like one of those weird things where they also they don't tell you in school, and this has never happened to me since, where we actually had callbacks on a stage. Oh. Like in a theater. Like that's what you see in At movies. Circling and that's Square. what you think when you're like, I'm gonna book my Broadway show. Like you think yeah. to like fame or something and they're all like singing in the darkness and like you hear like one silent slow applause <laughs> you know what I mean but that like doesn't happen in reality you usually book a Broadway show by like 
walking into a room with like a table full of people who kind of are hungry and haven't eaten lunch yet. Sometimes you follow the Chinese food in. I've been that person before and you're like, great, I'm not booking this because I'm following all the food in and they're only going to smell wontons for the next 15 minutes that they can't (laughs) eat until I'm done. with their noodles right now for attention. Not booking this job. Um, But like in reality, you're usually in like a weird room with bad acoustics and it's like feels Sometimes you have, like, a really cool experience, but, like, a lot of times you're like, okay, this weird room. But we were actually on a stage at the Lambs Theater, which doesn't exist anymore. Okay. And they had, like, paired us all up. And, yeah, Bill was in the audience. And he's so funny because he has very specific, like, sounds that he makes. And Uh it was kind of in the darkness. (laughs) It was, like, way in the back. (laughs) And so you'll hit, like, a great note or something, and he'll be like, oh! (laughs) 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 And you're like, what's happening? I have no idea what's happening. But yeah, there's a lot of a lot of that. And you're like, does he think I'm good or (laughs) did I horrify him? I don't know which one. (laughs) And then you realize he's like such a he's just such a real person. But I think that's what happens when you meet people you really idolize. You're like, oh, these are like real people, and they um, they have real feelings about things too, and real quirks, just like we do. But it's so hard because when you're in school, you just you grow up idolizing these people. And I think like there's maybe one person that if I really got to work with them, I would, I think, genuinely freak out. <laughs> um, but everyone else, you're like, this is really cool. I'm just going to keep my cool. I just did a reading. Well, Carol Shelley is one of those people. And I just did a reading where I was like sitting next to her and I was like, I'm sitting next to Carol Shelley. <laughs> I like, love her. Like, the odd couple. <laughs> you That's, know? I, it took me a while to get to, and I, I'm still working through this, but it took me a while to get to a point where, like, I'm in a room with someone that I, you know, during college, like, listened to all the time and, like, you know, wanted to emulate, or not necessarily emulate their career, but, you know, just, like, I was very excited about all of the work that they were doing, and it took me a while to get to a point where that wasn't intimidating for me to yeah. be in a room with them. Like, have you, ha- has, have you had that journey, or...? I definitely, yes. And I think, like, intimidating, it's not even intimidating. You're just, you want to prove that you're worthy of being in the room with them. But I always feel like I try to step outside of it and be like, it's not about me. What I should do is, like, use this time as basically, like, being in a master class. Like, every time I'm in a room with those people. Because watching someone, like, watching Casey Nicola deal with Donna Murphy is very different than watching Casey Nicola deal with like Raul Esparza or Sutton Foster in the room. So you can kind of see how everybody comes in and works and you'll start to see how like some people come in and their performance is there day one. Like they clearly spend all this time um, doing a lot of work before and they come in. It's a very, I don't want to say an old school way of working, but it, I think it's definitely an older version of like what you were taught, Mm -hmm. but I love it because you're getting like performance (laughs) at like hour two. But then you'll see people who really like take the journey and find everything based off their scene partner. So I try to be like, okay, if I come in prepared, that's all I can do. Uh People must think that I'm decent enough to be in these people's presence. (laughs) So I'm going to try to do my best and ultimately you know, if I get replaced or someone else, they change the track around, like, that's so far out of my control. But I Has try to, ever like... ever happened to you? Oh, yeah. I yeah? mean, not as, like... Not necessarily, like, directly, like, you're being replaced, but the track has become a non-white um, female track. Right. Or, 
well, this part now has to cover these three parts, and like it became a weird thing. Um, and that's happened like when once you've already started rehearsal. No, no, okay. this has been like in like development yeah. stages okay. where you've you know taken the journey with something. And you're like, I think this is the thing, and then you're like, it's not the thing. Right. <laughs> yeah, <been> um, there. <laughs> yeah, and then like. Yeah, but yeah, and I think, it, but it does happen a lot. It just happened to one of my really, really good friends. Um, yeah. In kind of a terrible way, and it's just sort of a nature. I think the nature of the business that people don't really talk about because it's a really kind of ugly side yeah. and the and the sad side where you can have a lot of success and have several Broadway shows, and then you get this thing, and you're like, "This is the thing that I've wanted to do, like this play with these people in the room," and you know, you think you've signed on to do the next, like, eight months of your life, and, you know, between round one and round two, they decide to go a different way. And, right. And that's, like, always how they put it. They're like, we're going to go a different way. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, like, see that they're auditioning people who are, like, exactly like you, and you're Ooh. like, so a different way or just not me is what yeah. you really want to say, which is always hard. Yeah. But then you're like, well, clearly – there's like 16 versions of me and we see each other at auditions <laughs> all the time, but none of us are really each other. Right. We're like, uh, we all offer a little something different and like one time that person's going to get it and the next time I'm going to get it. Right. And so I really think you have to step outside of it. And also I think the only way to stay in this business I've sort of wrestled with myself is I think constantly redefining what success means to you um, and if you can do that, you'll find yourself succeeding a lot more than you think. Yeah. But if you only have like this one end goal, it becomes very hard. That's like not really sustainable. Yeah. Because you're just waiting for that to happen. Right. And then you're like, well, it's been one year, two years, three years, right. four years. <laughs> How long do I have to wait for this thing to happen? Yeah. So what's your current definition? Um, I think my current definition is usually, well, that's a good question. I think now I just want to do good work in shows that I believe in with people I believe in, in a non-stressful environment, if possible, <laughs> which isn't always possible, which is why I always love when you and Gordon call, because I'm like, yes, I like love what they do. It's challenging. It's not necessarily like the most commercial thing you'll ever do, but like I believe in it. They believe in it. Everyone in the room believes in it. And ultimately... I think the thing for you guys is going to hit where it's all the things that's going to be somehow commercially viable because this like cool nonprofit company <laughs> like sees it for what it is and how talented you guys are and the voice you guys have. And I think like that's what I like to do is work with new writers it and develop so stuff. Yeah, well, but it's true. Like you guys have such a like a cool, special, unique voice. And I think it's working with directors I want to work mm -hmm. with. Um there are directors I really look up to and I think are really good at what they do. Um, and, you know, I look at someone like John Rando and I'm like, he really gets comedy. And as somebody who, like, loves good comedy and appreciates that, I'm like, okay, well, if he calls me to do something, I would, like, run through a hoop to get into that room for, like, negative $5. Because <laughs> I just think he's the kind of director who's like, can you lift your hand when you say that word? And you're like that made it better <laughs> and so few directors are really like that uh -huh. um I wanted to ask you about comedy actually because I feel like from my experience with you like I definitely feel like more than once I've been in a room where we have a conversation that's like oh and we'll give it to Dana and she'll do something funny here <laughs> so like I feel like we associate with you like Dana will just make it funny <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> um I yeah I don't know I just like 
people ask me that a lot. I think it's just how I approach the world, and I think I'm kind of a weird person, and most people who I think are funny are and are not intentionally funny all the time. Like, you're like, well, I don't know if that part's supposed to be funny, but people are laughing, so I guess <laughs> I'm, like, weird doing it. <laughs> but it is, like, it's weird, too, because I am much, very much from the school having done enough of it now that I also feel that like you're only as funny as your scene partner is as well Mm. and part of it is sometimes also just like recognizing when you're passing the ball versus like hitting the ball out of the park Mm -hmm. because it can be really frustrating to do a show with somebody especially for like several months where you're like this would get a laugh but you're setting it up wrong and you can't as another actor say anything Um, and it's interesting when directors can pick up on that and when they can't and they don't know how to fix the problem but I've been in rooms where it's so magical like something has landed at a table read or something and it's now not landing and you're like oh just don't move on the line that's all it is just don't move on the line and sure enough they stop moving and everything lands again because there's just like little rules and tricks that do work right like (laughs) I worked with a director once (laughs) who we called the comedy killer and we would be like you know what they say comedy in sevens (laughs) (laughs) nothing ever lined up but there really there are like little things that work and I mean not to say you should steal from people but like steal from people there are things that work watching Jen Samard is like a master class she Mm. can literally make anything funny I watched her for two years almost on tour and I was just like how does she she goes home and she literally works every moment and it's genius and what she brings like nobody else would find that laugh and I also feel like I try to be that way but sometimes it prevents you from getting jobs really how do you mean because I think when things are really open and you're in the first stage of something which I've been lucky enough to be in, you can kind of create what the laugh is. Mm. And sometimes Mm. people don't really know. They're like, is this going to work? I don't know. Let's call this person. We're hoping she can make this funny, and we'll figure out what this really is. And then sometimes when you're, like, going in for a replacement or, you know, a creative team that's a little less outside of the box, they're like, okay, all right, we see what you're doing. (laughs) That's so interesting. Can you do it like this? Right. <laughs> you know, because something that's like the easier laugh to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or um, just what's been happening. Or what's been happening. And it fits into the rhythm that the show's already established. Yeah. And I totally appreciate that. I don't know that I'm necessarily always the right person for that job. Yeah. Because I think I would ultimately be a little bit frustrated. Yeah. Um, but there is. I mean, I'm doing a show now where there's definitely a blueprint that's mm-hmm. been given to you. A very specific blueprint. And, you know... You definitely have creativity within that, but there's also definitely parameters of like, well, this line works best like this, you know, or um, we've always found that like the puppet adds a whole nother dimension because physically you're constantly like upstaging yourself and doing weird things that you don't think of normally. Sure. Um, I wanted, there's, there's so many things we talked about that I want to go back to because I still want to go back to tour life and I definitely oh. want to talk Avenue Q stuff. Yeah. But on this really quickly, I just remember like when I was starting out writing the first things we wrote and we would write something and a performer would get a laugh on something that wasn't in the show. It was just something they brought. I would feel so guilty and like, oh, the <gasps> writing sucks and we needed like this other person to like make it good. No. And I feel like it's been like years that now I realize that like making a container where someone can bring a thing and make it funny and make it yeah. 
is like the well, and that's ultimately the best kind of collaboration because yeah. you start to like hear that person's voice and like I always think it's really fun when you've been developing something and you see the changes and you're like oh they're kind of writing towards me now yeah. and like my sensibility which is cool um but yeah I mean it definitely prevents you I think sometimes um especially I think when you get in front of directors you can usually like get over that but I think sometimes casting directors it's harder not because they don't think you're great but because they're trying to offer they've been given parameters too and so bringing in a wild card choice is sometimes a great idea for them and sometimes makes their job harder I think (laughs) so I think you know nine times out of ten if you put something a little different in front of a creative team it's exciting to them because they're like okay we don't know what this is but we see that they're creative and we can kind of like work with this yeah whereas like I think sometimes casting directors, not not on purpose or intentionally, but I think sometimes they're like, "This is a this is a safer choice for us to bring in. It's clean. It's exactly what they're looking for, what they think they're looking for." So, but I really do feel like, well, then it's not my job because yeah. I don't think ultimately like I would be happy doing it if I couldn't bring myself to it. Right. Well, can I ask you because you're currently in Avenue Q which is the show you've been r- referencing about the puppets and <laughs> and saying that there's a blueprint to follow and um but that shows it's a it's been a continuous production that's been going on for years and years now. Yeah. But you've also done like like revival productions of um of previously established shows like I know you've done Into the Woods and yeah. um I think you did Grease. Yeah, yeah. Um, in in like different productions where it's a completely different director like staging it anew and so ha- like what do you th- I'm just curious how you f- how you think about do you think about that as like a blueprint or is it a totally different kind of blueprint like in terms of bringing yourself to something that's that is no longer able to be changed in any way I think well the Textually. blueprint for something like Avenue Q I think is specific also because you'll see a lot of people come who like know the entire show and will sing it along with you in the front row, Mm. which is like incredible. And you're always like, I'm so happy you're excited about this show, but maybe don't sit in the first row and sing the whole show. (laughs) (laughs) Really distracting. Um, But I think there's an expectation of what they would like to hear. Um, And I think there in the long-running show, they have seen enough people do it where they're like, we know what you're trying to do, but this just reads. And I think a lot of it has to do in Avenue Q with physicality and the puppet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just like if you turn out a certain way with the puppet, it exposes their emotions in a certain it sounds so stupid to talk about this yeah. puppet like it's a person. But it exposes the puppet in a way that allows the audience to like feel it's more human and... For me, it's a challenge because I'm physically small and the puppet is, like, essentially my entire torso. So (laughs) if I'm, like, facing stage left because I'm a right-hander, the puppet kind of completely blocks me. So there's a lot of, like, like upstaging myself that happens. But you'll also hear weird things. Some people believe if it's done by the right person, you won't watch the actor at all. You'll only watch the puppet. Quite frankly, I'm not that good of a puppeteer, so I hope that's not the case. <laughs> but, um, but um, yeah, and, it, you know, the associates check in and, you know, our musical supervisor, like Stephen Ramos came in a couple weeks ago and he'll give you a couple notes. And there's definitely parameters. Yeah. I think when you're doing a revival, 
with a different director who's also maybe not touched the project before, mm -hmm. there is a sense of having a little more play. Into the Woods is also specific because I think every time I've done it, which has been a lot, people have this want, probably because it's so good, um, they see it as very malleable. So they always mm -hmm. want to put like some sort of hat on a hat yeah. and put a concept on it. Right. But it's weird because it's already a concept piece. Right. right. So it's always interesting to watch them like figure out will this journey work? Because I think sometimes they set up the beginning of the journey and don't realize that the whole concept sort of falls apart when the narrator, you sure. know, mm -hmm. um, and I've been in rehearsal, room, rehearsal rooms before where we're like, so what happens now though? If he was the puppeteer, what are we now? Are we dead? <laughs> are we, have our strings been cut? Like what, what happened? Uh -huh. um, but yeah, I think there is a blueprint for a long-running show versus a revival because I think revivals are always the only reason to do a revival in my opinion is to bring something kind of new yeah. to it or at least an interesting take and I think I'm trying to think who I thought like someone like Leanne Larkin in Gypsy like I remember mm. seeing that performance and I was like yeah this is really good like this is such a smart weird choice that somehow works for June and is so dark and that's one of my f absolute favorite musicals of all time I would say I think it's like pretty much the perfect example of a musical from like every standpoint every song furthers the plot every line is necessary there's no fat on it at all yeah. and it's just like an incredible character development um plus the score is amazing mm -hmm. but I, I just remember seeing that revival being like Yes, that is a reason to revive this. Like, she is great. Um, and then I'm trying to think who else I've seen in a revival recently that I was like, oh, this is so interesting. I didn't see the revival in the, the park, unfortunately. I wish I had. I couldn't get tickets. Of, of Into the Woods. Oh, of Into the Woods, right. No one would offer me tickets. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I just couldn't wait outside for that many hours. It was very warm that summer. Mm. Um, I thought the hair revival, too. I thought that was really and just relevant for the time we were yeah. in. But, yeah. So you don't feel, like, limited in any way by having a show be so fixed when you step in because you still feel like there's room for play? I do. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think in everyone's dream world, you're creating your own thing, and someone has to step into what you've done, mm -hmm. not only because it's more creative and challenges you, but because yeah, you're creating the blueprints. So right. who's to tell you that like, it, you know, sometimes the director will just be like, you sense in their eyes and they're like, can you just go to two? <laughs> 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 you know I mean? yeah. um, and I don't think that's wrong, but it's definitely cool to be in the development process of something and be on like the second, third, fourth, fifth development stage. Um, and you start to see how everything's evolving and how incredible it really is when they keep some of the same people each time, how much their voice starts to get heard and what they're contributing. I just, that to me is the most exciting part of theater. I like it even more than performance. I love rehearsals. Yeah. Huh. Love rehearsing. I don't know. I'm weird that way. I don't think that's weird at all. I like rehearsing. <laughs> I, I think some people really just like performance. They yeah. don't like rehearsal. But I'm like, this is like the best time. But I sort of try to treat especially when you're doing a show for like several months, 
I think it's good to sort of treat it like a rehearsal too and just like try new things. I mean, I fail a lot. Like sometimes I throw out something that I'm hoping might be funny and I'm like, well, that bombed. <laughs> um, and my, you know, and that can be funny too to everyone else on stage. But it, sometimes you just have to because if you do the yeah. same thing every single day, like I think there's also parameters within that. Like, yes, you need to be true to the scene, but how unfun would it be to just like say it the same way yeah. every day like a robot i mean that's it's like groundhog day right like right. people do go to desk jobs and do the same thing every day but you're not literally saying the same words every day so i think you have to keep challenging yourself to find a new way to do it yeah. which that's sort of goes back to why i get excited when i see that an understudy is coming on because for that person it's going to be like so extra fresh and new yeah it is and it's also scary because you're not <laughs> sure if you're <laughs> i used to keep like three like a note card for each track that I would go on for with like three things to remember. Cause ultimately that's like all you can focus on. Huh. So if you're just like, these three things were for Olive and these three things were for Logan, just to get you on track because it's really scary the first few times. Um, and sometimes you don't feel able to like listen and respond in the best way that you can. Cause you're also just trying not to be in the way and like be in all the right lights and yeah. mm -hmm. move the right set piece and be on the number. Um, so I always try to keep like three things to remember. Um, but sometimes it's good to do that too, even in a job that's your own. <laughs> but yeah, I personally love when there's a Princeton understudy on, I love it. Not because I don't like the person who plays Princeton, but because they throw me something different and it keeps me on my toes <laughs> and like awake. And I'm like, Oh, I was not expecting that today like that's amazing and yeah. that changes the way I do a scene hopefully <laughs> uh, <laughs> if I'm there no um but I think that's always really fun for me I like going on with like different combos of people I think that's always exciting yeah so so I did want to ask more about tour life because I hear I mean that it's like a very different experience being on the road yes because the show is all you have in a way that when you're in the show in New York, you know, I go home to my husband. So it's not that I'm not um, super friendly with everybody, but, you know, you're not you don't always become best friends with everybody. And that's totally OK because everybody goes home to their own lives at the end of the day. But on the road, it's a whole nother <laughs> it's a whole nother thing. How long were you on the road? Almost. I guess I did two nine month contracts. Okay. So we did nine months. Then I went to L.A. with the original cast where I did – I covered and then Celia was gone, um, who plays Olive, Celia Keenan-Bolger, was going to be gone shooting um, for like two weeks of the four weeks. And they knew that going in. So I went in for her for those two weeks, which gotcha. was like really cool because it's like jumping into a cast recording. It was yeah. super crazy. <laughs> wow. So yeah. crazy. Um, and then I went back on On the Road as Logan for nine more months. But – it's weird. Like, yeah, you become, it's more hopefully like a family because you really do see each other every day and you spend most of your time together. We were also all pretty young. They cast a pretty young company. And a lot of us, it was like our first big jobs. And now everybody's gone on to like crazy things. Like it was like Lauren Warsham, Sarah Stiles, both of whom were nominated for a Tony in the same year. <laughs> Eric Peterson, who's now doing Margaritaville, but took over for School of Rock and... um is excellent was our 
Barfi, like we had like an amazing Miguel Cervantes, who's a Hamilton now, yeah. was our Chip Tolentino. Yeah. Like this was a stacked That's cast a going back. Cast. Yeah, like we were like, oh, Jen Samard, who's amazing and doing Hello Dolly now and has like literally 10 minutes on stage and it's the best 10 minutes. It's so, I can't say enough about her clearly. I love her. I think she's a genius. Um, but yeah, it was a really cool cast and young and everybody was like super excited And then I think it calms down because it is a lot of change. Um, And you find yourself going to a lot of chain stores and malls because they're very comforting because they're the same everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) So you kind of always know if you see a P.F. Chang's, you're probably also going to see a Cheesecake Factory and a Barnes & Noble. They're always like together. Oh my God, you're so right. Yeah, it's weird. And it's true everywhere. Yeah. But it is weird. We sat down... It wasn't horrible because we were mostly everywhere for like two weeks or so. Oh, that's nice. So yeah, so I we didn't have I've never had the tour experience where you're like doing like a bus and truck situation. I did. And I did a theater tour for six months where we were pretty <sighs> much in a different city every day. Was it theater works or something? Yeah. yeah, I had a friend who did it. And yeah. He was like, it was dreadful. <laughs> yeah, it's just hard. Like at a certain point, I think about halfway in. I just felt like I had no home base anymore because I was yeah. waking up in a different bed every single morning, and I just like, I I had a, a slight identity. My friend had a my friend had an even bigger identity crisis because on top of all of this, she was also playing like sort of like a nasty or like snotty character, and she's the nicest person I know. But um, on stage, everyone was like, you know, didn't like her because she was like snotty to everyone, and she at a certain point she just broke down and she was like, "I'm a nice person." <laughs> Which I don't think would have happened if we were, like, sitting down in New York because no. she wouldn't have this, like, foundation taken away from her. Oh, no. Tour is enough to make even the sanest people crazy. Yeah. It's – there's something really awesome about it. Like, I got to see the whole country, some of which I never need to see again. <laughs> um, and, like, I definitely didn't need to, wa- like, walk past the swastika on my way to the theater in Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, wow. But, like, you learn from every place you are. And specifically Spelling Bee, because it's sort of a challenging topic. I mean, it challenges, like, my character had two gay dads. Mm -hmm. So being somewhere like Salt Lake City or um, Birmingham, Alabama or Jackson, it was tough. And a lot of times people would walk out or yell things at me. Um, In Salt Lake, somebody really got excited and waited at the stage door for me like every single day for like 10 days and was like how could you put this on the stage and I was like first of all I didn't write it second of all I just if you feel threatened by a in theory a 10 year old I don't know man like I don't know and we go through this a lot at Avenue Q actually because at the end of the show and for now we say Donald Trump is only for now And the amount of times a week people boo or, like, get really upset. Really? Yeah, and it's so funny because I'm like, but you just watched a show for two hours. We're clearly equal opportunity. We've made fun of everyone and everything. <laughs> I mean, everything. So we, we're in this heightened sense of reality. Also, I'm holding two puppets. Also, <laughs> it's actually true. Any president right. is only for now. Yeah, the original <laughs> one was George Bush, right? Yeah. yeah, and like no matter how you slice it, it's not. I guess they sense there might be a derogatory <laughs> sentiment behind it, but <laughs> truly, like if you're just looking at the statement, presidents have a, a limited amount of time in office, so yeah. they're only for now. Yeah, but yeah, right oh, now I'm thinking, so was upset. it? O- what did they say Obama is only for now? No, they did Bush, and then I don't know what they did. 
during Obama, but once the campaign started, they were doing Donald Trump because oh. they thought it was going oh. to be a joke and they were going to cut it and change it to something else. Huh. And um, they did not have to change it oh, <laughs> because he luckily became our president for the Writers of Avenue Q. <laughs> and like our best-selling item for Broadway Cares is the Donald Trump is only for now t-shirt. Uh-huh. So. But it's and sometimes you'll hear people like cheering and they go crazy and then other nights it's like dead silence. But you usually know there's a joke early on in the first act where he says Princeton says to Christmas Eve, um, you know, that he has a friend who might be gay and she says something along the lines of like, Oh, well they make so many contributions to society, you know, they're creative, et cetera. And he was like, No, no, he's um he works in banking and he's a Republican and she was like, well, you're worthless. <laughs> Essentially that person's worthless if they're gay and a Republican um, who works in finance and the audience will either erupt in laughter or you'll feel this very uncomfortable tension where they're like, Oh, uh, and so you kind of know where you're headed. Sure. Huh. I think it's a pretty good indicator. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like, does that change anything in the way people like, play through stuff if you're getting a feeling that that's your audience um no i will say in avenue q the weirdest one depending on what's going on in the world that day is racist Mm -hmm. because it can be a sensitive topic if there you know there have been shootings and other terrible things and uh, when something goes on with like police brutality there's an uncomfortable you can sort of sense it and yeah. some nights you can tell people need a release from that mm-hmm. and just want to laugh louder than ever because it's the only way to treat the terrible things that are still going on in our country right now um and then you can also sense where there's this like deep sadness and and um feeling of being lost and not capable of helping to make a change and there's like dead silence. And to me, that's the one that I think is the most uncomfortable for me on certain nights um, when the audience isn't responding because you just feel like icky. And you're like, yeah. I know, I know, yeah. I know, but I have to do it. <laughs> um, so I think that one can be kind of weird. But yeah. yeah. But we have had during collections, like someone came up to me and was like, <laughs> they're like, well, we like Donald Trump. And I was like, well, I'd finally lost it. And like really nicely, I was like, well, I like civil liberties. So, oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, people will say really interesting things. Or someone said to somebody like, your show is racist. And I was like, I think it's actually the opposite of that, though. I think it's pretty inclusive of being an equal opportunity, just making fun of everybody. Um, but yeah, and in Spelling Bee, we had someone, my favorite night, because I used to give that speech. And um, as Logan, you would run up and do this like improvised, improvised um, speech um, about something topical going on. And somebody in Florida got up and ran up the aisle and was like, this is disgusting and tried to rip her program up. But playbills are really thick and you can't actually just rip them up. So she just kept trying and finally was like, ah, and like gave it a good toss. Wow. Do you remember what the topic was that day? Um, Well, I was... Luckily for me, I was doing Logan during primaries for Obama and Hillary. Uh-huh. And I switched a lot because I felt like she would be pretty equal opportunity, like in favor of either candidate. Like she's this strong female and he's this like powerful African-American male. And she has 
two gay dads and one of them is African-American. And you're like, so I think she would be pretty much on either side. But I think, I actually think of all things, that speech was about Dumbledore coming out of the closet, (laughs) which was so, I was like, of all the speeches to get upset about, I think it was about, I think it was something like, this bee is about as, I'm trying to remember what it was, about as shocking as like Dumbledore coming out of the closet and like something about his wizard outfit and my dad's, you know, like being like, you really didn't know. (laughs) But oh yeah, stormed out. She couldn't take it. She loved Harry Potter and it was too much for her when J.K. Rowling admitted it. You almost have to, I mean, my first response is like, that's not appropriate and this woman is giving the wrong amount of weight to what she's saying. But you almost have to love the part of that person who is so invested that that depth of feeling is accessible to her. So invested, but well, people have said to us at in both shows I've had people say the theater is not the place to bring up these topics and to me I'm like well if not the theater where like that's actually the whole point it's the safest place to bring it up because it's people saying words that were written by somebody else it's disconnected it's supposed to be challenging and thought-provoking and make you think and not every show is just I mean, I love Hello, Dolly. I don't mean to say not every show is Hello, Dolly. But in terms of it being like, I think the scope of humanity can agree that it's non-threatening. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know what you're getting into. Whereas if you see Pregnancy Pact or if you see <laughs> Avenue Q or Hamilton, perhaps, you know, there's something else that up- could upset you, I guess. But I don't know. I always think it's so weird to me because I, I don't watch I, I don't watch the news – to be entertained. I watch the news for my news. So if I'm going to the theater, I want to release and I want to be challenged. So I don't know. I think it's really interesting that people feel that way because I think it should be the safest space yeah. to do something creative and, and, and comment on society. And But I, I guess for some people, it's just, it's just not. They felt they paid and they don't want to be told anything that they didn't want to hear. So I don't know. Uh, um, yeah. I have... Would there you, you go. okay? <laughs> I I just have a a personal I have a personal question. No, it's not actually personal, but um, <laughs> it's okay. If it is. I like I, I know that you've played a lot of kids and yeah. teenagers. Do you like? And so have I. So I, like I I just I guess my question is like, is that weird? Like, do you feel weird about that? Um, do I? Sometimes yes. Uh-huh. Mostly in the audition process because. Like, I've been there, and it's, like, very clear that the person going, with like, before or after me is there with, like, a chaperone. And I'm like, oh. oh. like, actually a child. Yeah, like, oh, I think you might be in high school. <laughs> like, actual high school. Uh-huh. Um, and I always think it is weird, but I think usually there's a creative conversation at some point as to whether they think it would be best done by an actual child for, like, authenticity's sake right. or an adult with perspective on playing a child or a teenager um, because you can bring a certain level of understanding to it and depth because you're outside of it and you're like I went through it I survived (laughs) (laughs) I guess my question is more like uh, I guess what I meant by a personal question is like I like I've gone through like personally like as a person who's trying to like mature as a human yes to like continually get asked to go back to playing a child or a teenager, mm-hmm. just like mentally, I find it confusing. 
it, yes, it can be. It's super confusing to be like playing a like Little Red Riding Hood and in this like tutu and crinoline and braids and then like go home to your husband. Like, yeah, yeah it can be really weird. I find I do find it on some level freeing. I like to play kids and adult and young adults because there's this sense of like the filter just isn't there. Uh-huh. So you can kind of feel all the things you want to feel, and it's never wrong to be angry and then upset and then hysterical and then you know totally calm because that's how kids and teenagers are like things go from zero to 11 really quickly so i think you can just sort of access all the things and no one can tell you it's incorrect (laughs) so i kind of like that it's like free therapy but but yeah there's definitely that like i face a lot um I face one of two things, which is always interesting, depending on what they saw me for last in a casting mm. office. Mm. It'll either be like, yeah, I just don't know that she's like womanly enough yet mm. to do that. And you're like, but I'm 33. Like, I, I actually probably could be womanly enough to play like 26. But the <laughs> thing is, you see me come in, in in no makeup and my converse and like a T-shirt because it would be inappropriate to come in for that job in like a full on situation, like dressed up. Mm -hmm. Or if I did go in and I was in final callbacks for like something else for the office where it was an adult, like the next go around, they're gonna be like, I don't know, I think she might've aged out of that. And then they'll end up bringing me in and I'll still be in the final. It's like, it's a Mm -hmm. weird thing. So I think it's totally, I think it's confusing, but I've had this conversation with my agent a lot and he was like, you know, I think when it's time for you to stop playing those parts at some point, people will just stop asking you and stop calling. So unless you want to make a conscious choice to say only adults from now on, um, then you can just kind of do it until you're not excited about it anymore. But I've been doing reading workshop lab situations of something where it's a child, but I, it's definitely like an adult, child kind Uh of thing and it's so funny in my opinion that I was like well I would never not do this like because it's so creative to me and so weird and everything I like just like like why is this girl dressed up like this (laughs) is she 30 is she nine we don't know and it's like such a strange thing and it's opposite an actual child so it's like (gasps) it's like really interesting so I'm like I don't think I'm allowed to say that I'll tell you after. <laughs> but um, if it happens, I'm like, well, this would be the greatest trick of all time because you get to – nobody knows what – it doesn't matter what age you are, I don't think. Um, and it's just kind of funnier, I think, for it to be an adult playing <laughs> at being a child because it makes it that much weirder. But, yeah, so I haven't made that conscious choice yet, and I do feel like maybe at some point I will. But I think your energy shifts, and so there are roles that I just know – I'm not going to be right for anymore because you sort of lose that. There's a maturity to your energy, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think there's still like the Peter and the star catchers and those kind of like adult, adult E children roles. And then there's like actual like kids in high school. Right. Um, So I think it depends on the voice of the writer. Yeah. You know? And I think like when you guys are doing pregnancy pact, like, I think you guys had a discussion whether you should use real yeah. teenagers or adults. And we tried subject. it both ways. Like we did when we did it at Yale, our cast was our youngest cast member was sixteen, mm-hmm. and it was a different energy. And we loved, 
I mean, we've loved all, all the people who've worked with Pamela Chan. Yeah. We've learned a lot from everyone. But it was, there was something that felt dif- different with a cast that young. Yeah. Well, especially because you guys have songs in there about, like, your body. And I think there's, like, a when you grow into your own womanhood in your body, there is, like, this sense that you can expose yourself in a different way and yeah. understand how challenging that is and, like, what a crazy thing it is to, like, procreate and all these weird things that I think is still scary at that age because you're yeah. literally going through how uncomfortable you feel. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but I feel like a lot of your work touches on that. Like, yeah. that weirdness of how you feel in your own body. and um, But to go back to what you said, yes, it can be emotionally confusing where you're like, I don't know, like, am I done doing this? Mm. Or, like, is this fun anymore? So I think it's, it, for me now, it's sort of project by project. Cool. But at some point, someone will let me play an adult. Because my favorite is they're like, oh, she just doesn't look like an adult. And I'm like, but they're clearly are small adults because I am one. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So at some point. But so I, my theory for myself is I'm probably going to move from being like 10 to being Estelle Getty uh-huh. and just yeah. go straight to old women. <laughs> <laughs> I had that thought that like... I, I was joking that like my dream role is the um, the man in Follies who sings Rain on the Roof with his wife. Yeah. And I was like, this is like my only adult dream role because I'm going to be playing children until I get to that <laughs> age. Yeah. Sam, am I remembering right that you recently were not cast from something because you read too young to be the high yeah, school Yeah, That character. was the feedback that I got was that like they really liked me, but I read too young to be a high schooler. Oh, sure. Um <laughs> And this was a couple years back, but, you know, I was still, like, 28 or something. And, uh, like, looking at the cast that they chose, they they weren't hiring, like, actual um, high schoolers. They yeah. Like, the people that they were hiring were around my age, but, like, people my age who looked, like, older than I look. Yes. So, like, in the, like, composition of that cast, I looked too young to, like, fit into that high school world, I think, was right. the feedback. But it was just, like, bizarre to hear that I looked too young to play a high schooler at the age of, like, 28. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I always say, I'm like, you can play any age though that person in the room thinks you can play. Yeah. And if that person thinks I'm 40, that's great. And if that person thinks I yeah. read, like, I'm 17, that's great, too. Right. Because it's so – I mean, I think that's why a lot of people are so secretive about their age in the mm-hmm. industry because – they don't want people to know because it sort of like makes you a blank canvas. And yeah. depending on like how you do yourself up that day, um, there are people who really have like a 10 to 20 year like range of age. But I feel like with the internet now, it's like so easy to Google me. Although there was this incredible wiki page that my, my grandmother who has a Google alert on me found where it said I was born in like 1970 something. Oh. And I was like, okay. <gasps> and then also said that I was found on YouTube. I was discovered on YouTube, but also somehow made a guest appearance on Fresh Prince of Bel Air, which is like whoa, number one. How was that experience? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like unbelievable. It was so great to work with Will Smith. <laughs> I can't believe we waited this long into the interview to talk about Fresh Prince. Your appearance. Oh my god. It was. It's honestly. It's the most unbelievable Wikipedia, and I'm like, I don't even know how to fix this. But do I yeah. even want to? This is such a gift. Like, yeah. what a weird. It's like definitely mysterious. you. It's like your picture. It's my headshot and my name, and I don't. No, there's definitely no other Dana Steingold in either union because oh, I would have to yeah. know about that. Right. And it had something to do with the cartoon series I do. It was through like, it was some like cartoon hub something something something. But I was like, where did they do this? It also said I was a former musical lyrical 
performer or something unbelievable. I'm like, first of all, what is that? What is that like the <laughs> gymnastics? Like the um, <gasps> like ribbon the dancing? Ribbon dancing? <laughs> dancing? I don't know. <laughs> was and there anything like factual on that page? Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. Cool. I I don't think so. Other than that, I am on this cartoon series. And then at some point I did musical theater, but I also like that it said like I had quit the business essentially, oh. like oh. which is like always the best question to get when you run into somebody mm. and you're like, are you still doing this? <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's the worst question you could ever ask anybody. Yeah. Um, but yeah, oh gosh, so the internet's amazing. <laughs> this cartoon, how long have you been doing that? Um, we're in the middle of recording the end of season two, but the only the first. I think seven episodes of season one have aired out of 20 episodes. So that's weird because we're like so far ahead uh-huh. of the game because yeah. it takes so long to animate and oh, that's interesting. finish. When you're recording the voices, do you see the animation? Not initially. So okay. initially we'll get called in for like, let's call it like next week I'm doing episode 210. So I'll go in, they'll give me the script and I just go in and meet, I'm alone um, in a booth and then there's like our voice director and you know our associate and I'll, uh, like two or three other people usually and i just do lines with him and we'll like every line is numbered so you'll just be like okay moving to 15 and you'll do like sometimes you'll read a passage which is great cuz you get to feel like a scene kind <laughs> of <laughs> and sometimes you'll literally just like record each line like four different ways and then they'll sort of like give you direction off of that and then you'll keep recording the line and then you'll keep moving forward through the episode eventually you'll come back and there'll be like ADR and rewrites sometimes there's like scratch animation but they haven't colored it in yet and it's not locked and then the next round would be it's there and like the lip flap is locked so they've rewritten something or you need to redo something but you have to keep the lip flap that's there which wow. is also interesting. Um, but I think the weirdest part is that I've never really met anyone I'm on the cartoon with. Uh-huh. So, uh, well, actually, that's not true. Annie Potts plays my mom on the series, which is like, I love designing <laughs> women. So to me, that is like another gift. Yeah. But I, I had never met her until the women's march where she was marching like next to me. And I was like... So this is super weird, but I think you play my mom on Welcome to the Wayne. <laughs> and that was how I met Annie Potts. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, I've never met anybody on the series with me. Like, uh, I'm trying to think. The girl who plays um, one of the other like main characters, she actually plays a boy, is Serena from the Legally Blonde movie. Okay. Never met her. <laughs> um, Nikki James is also on it. I've seen her like we've recorded back to back before uh-huh. but and then one of the creators is also like the main boy so i've seen him but i've never like run a scene with anybody else oh. so it's the least control i feel like it's such a good exercise in a release of control because you l- really can't control your performance at all yeah. you have no idea what they're going to edit it into you don't know i feel like i usually record first or second so i sort of set the playing field but they don't know if we're going to be yelling in this scene or like really quiet. So we sort of do it different ways. It's a totally different process. It's so interesting. Have you done a lot of voiceover? I've done a lot of voiceover, but Uh I've never, this is the first time I've ever done like a series where I was like one of the main people Mm -hmm. and in every single episode. And it's been really challenging, really cool. And sometimes also like 
really scary because you're like, I just don't, I don't know what I'm doing, really. I'm just like kind of figuring this out as I go. Uh-huh. Um, but it started as a, to answer your question of how long, I guess it's been about three years now because we started it as Nick did a digital web series platform for a while. And then they picked up our show and did a full order for TV. Uh-huh. So that's, um, I think it's been about three years. But it's totally weird because people are like, oh, you're doing that thing. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, when's it airing? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but it's cool. And I've always wanted to be a cartoon character. Yeah. So it's really cool. Very cool to like see this character. And you're like, this is like me. And she's really, she's like a tough, challenging, smart girl who's like always kind of fixing all the problems the boys create <laughs> which I also really think is cool yeah because I think that kind of character like for like young kids to watch is just better than being like the prissy girl right so I also think that's really fun she's very dry mm. and like kind of angelica like I guess from Rugrats but okay. <laughs> but like the tomboy version she wears like this like hat and like this like big camo jacket and she's very tech savvy <laughs> which I am not <laughs> um so, yeah, I think that's pretty cool. And, like, watching kids watch it, like, my friend's kids, like, that's been the coolest part. Oh, that's And great. how they respond. And one of my friends has a daughter, and he was like, that's that's Auntie Dana. And she was like, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> she, they were like, yeah, it is. And she was like, well, it sounds nothing like her. <laughs> wow. So she t- does not believe it's me wow. at all. But that's been the coolest part, I think, is, like, watching kids watch it because I'm like oh my god I was that in a way that I don't I feel like theater it's like a whole separate thing um yeah because you're watching it live so you can't right. really enjoy how people are like experiencing it yeah. right. <laughs> but it's cool voiceover is a really weird really weird industry yeah yeah is that something you want to do a lot more of or like how do you do you how do you envision like balancing these careers <laughs> I mean I feel like I've just kind of done it like the Really, you think I work basically on the show like four hours every couple weeks is like an episode. Mm -hmm. And then we have like a break and then we go back in, hopefully, if there's another season. But it's pretty easy to balance. I mean, I try to book days where like I try to do it on at the end of a week. I like don't love recording for four hours screaming before doing like a five show weekend, but sometimes I have to. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's super easy to do both because it's so like it's so noncommittal. Yeah. And I kind of love that. Like, theater auditions feel very personal sometimes. You feel so exposed. But, like, most of my voiceover auditions I record without pants on uh-huh. in my own apartment, yeah. into my iPhone with the microphone, and send it off. And if I get the job, that's great. And if I don't, I recorded it with my pants off. So it's, like, fine. <laughs> you know, there's, like, less – it feels so much less personal sure. in a weird way. And maybe less pressure. Like, I didn't so even, much. I didn't even have to put on pants on for this. So, like, if I don't get it, whatever. Yeah. And yeah. there are definitely people who will be, like, well, voiceover is a skill. And I think it, it is to an extent. But I also feel like – it's also just sort of like there's a sound that they want versus not. And mm-hmm. so it's just sort of like you are that thing or you aren't that thing. And whereas like with theater, it's like, well, all these people are really good, but they're all offering a different interpretation and it's so you. So yeah, there's like this disconnect I can have that's amazing. Also, it doesn't matter what you look like. You just show up. Mm. I mostly record kids, obviously. Uh-huh. <laughs> I would say my... Or animals, like in a, or inanimate objects. I do a lot of puppy voices recently. Yeah. Um, 
I use my dog's voice a lot in auditions <gasps> more than I could say. Wait, like um, wait, your actual dog? Or like, you do Well, the dog? voice that I do for my dog okay. has like landed on some jobs before. <laughs> That's amazing. And I was like, I mean, and they're like, where'd you come up with this? I'm like, how <laughs> I talk, it's my dog. I'm so sorry. It's like not better of a story than that, but it's actually just how I talk as my dog all day long. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's an easy, I think it's an easy balance. And it's one of those things where like, if you decide to start a family or you do those kinds of things, like you can continue to do that because it really doesn't matter. Yeah. So a lot of like little boys' voices are all girls. I don't know. It's a very interesting world. Like the scope of what you can be is so different. There are no types. It's just what your voice type is. Right. So it's whatever you can sound, you can do. <laughs> Which is very freeing. Yeah. Because yeah. you're not trapped by any like physical thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess you can. Do you think you have more flexibility to broaden your voice type than you do to broaden your physical type? Um, yes. Yes. I mean, like, the, you know, you can read for, like, a moody teenager one day and, like, a six-month-old puppy the next, you know? So, yeah, I do think you have, like, a little bit more range. But ultimately, I always still get cast as, like, because it's an easy fit. Like, it, mm -hmm. you know, sort of that, like, kid sound or that, like, 10, 11-year-old kind of sound. But... Yeah, it is definitely, there's, like, it's blind, so you could kind of do anything. I've also read a lot of, like, old lady voices, and, mm -hmm. like, a lot of shows on Cartoon Network, they'll make you voice, like, three different characters, because they hire somebody who can do them all. Mm -hmm. So those auditions are hilarious, because uh -huh. you're just doing anything you can think of to make them different, so you're like, I don't know, maybe she's British? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> we were just listening to auditions for, video auditions for Loneliest Girl in the World, and there's this one track that we can't figure out where it was we saw like five or six tapes for it and every single tape did the same like specific like brooklyn accent despite the fact that it's set in minnesota minnesota which track? And we can't figure out it's the record store lady that is so funny <laughs> we can't figure we can't out figure where out everyone what? got it <laughs> that's so funny it just read that way to them yeah <laughs> that's so interesting <laughs> Only even though it's in Minnesota. That's do you right. do the, um, do you ever have to just go in and kind of like make sounds like grunts and like. Oh, yeah. They call it Walla. They call it what? Walla. Why do they call it that? You know, I'm sure there's a reason. It probably stands for something. I've okay. seen that word on sound effects CDs. Yeah. So Walla is essentially anytime you hear anyone like running or jumping yeah. or like grunting and laughing, whatever. And at this point, they have like a huge canon of like a library of them for me of like annoyed eye roll sounds mm. but it's so funny because you're like i don't know what an eye roll sounds like <laughs> <laughs> or like um what would it sound like if someone punched me in the face or like i was climbing this ladder and you're like uh, 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 uh. <laughs> like all these like weird things you're doing and i'm like i've never felt weirder in my whole life i feel really honored that you just gave those to us for free <laughs> i was really wanted one but i was like we can't ask for one that would be so rude <laughs> but yeah there's like all kinds of weird ones of me like running or just like I, like I guess an eye roll, you're like, Ugh. like I don't, you're like I don't know what an eye roll sounds like. So there's yes, you do get called in for that. That's I mean I just like, it, it's so fascinating to me that like that's like, like honey I'm home and I like earned my money today by like making an eye roll sound uh -huh. for four hours straight. I did a voiceover like, a couple months ago where 
I was actually only there for like nine minutes and the director like video chatted in was was like in LA and the only thing I had to do was be like it's summer <laughs> like 18 <laughs> times and I was like I mean I don't know how I got this job or why but like they're paying me and I was here for nine minutes wow <laughs> like, it's such a weird yeah such a weird thing and they're like great you're done <laughs> and you're like okay I have no sense if that was good or not <laughs> that's yeah that's, you're satisfied that's so different from theater where it's just like everyone has to get into a physical location all at once in order to even like start yes. doing the work and then it's so there's so much back and forth and like oh well in a way like I our sound the people who work on our <laughs> show are like yes exactly and the people who work on my show are always like we love the theater people who come in because and we grab we tend to gravitate toward theater actors because they can create this sense of like having a scene partner that like voiceover actors can't always do mm. because you're not reading with anybody. So in a weird way, it's sort of the most uncreative job you'll ever have because you have no scene partner. Yeah. So you're literally like acting with yourself. <laughs> yeah. Although our voice director like does a really great job of editor. doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's weird. You're sort of like actually when they say like, I feel like I'm acting in a vacuum, like that is kind of what it feels like. Yeah. So I think in a way it, is to your advantage to be a theater actor first because you can sort of envision or feel like what you think the other person will hopefully be doing energy wise. Yeah. But yeah, it's super weird. Sometimes I'm like, wow, I just did a whole episode and I didn't really, I didn't act with anybody. <laughs> it's just like, I was just saying lines, which is like kind of what they tell you not to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like a weird <laughs> thing right. to be like, well, one job, that is what I do. Yeah. Which and is probably why I like being on stage so much. I'm like, oh, I just crave. And you're excited when an understudy goes on because it's like a fresh new. Yeah, I'm like, oh, a scene partner. Play with. Yeah. So what a delight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I always think that's like such a weird thing. But listen, if someone told me I could make enough money and like hold myself up in Vermont and have my own like booth that I just recorded on, I would be like, yeah, it's okay. I would do that <laughs> at some point. Are you? Do you? Do you feel like? Were it not for this business, you wouldn't live in New York City? You know, I love New York City. I've always loved New York City. When I moved here for school, I was like, well, I was supposed to live here this whole time. And there's no city like it. But I think you do get to a point where you're like, you finally start seeing yourself, I think, for the first time, like being like, what would having a home look like versus an apartment? And we really, my husband and I like to travel. And I think we do have these sort of like dreams where we're like, gosh, it would be really cool if we could just, like, live in one of these cities that we love so much for, like, a year and have it not matter. Yeah. And have no commitments and just be, like, like, because he could really do what he does kind of anywhere, but I really couldn't, so it would be, like, me taking time off. So I don't know. If not for this business, I don't know. I might live somewhere else. I think you get to a certain point where you're, like, I've lived in the city for – Oh my gosh, I don't even know how many years now, like 15, 16 or something, which is like basically as long as I lived where I grew up as a cognitive being. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't know. Like there is something nice about the suburbs and you hate them while you're growing up, but there's something nice about having sort of an outside perspective on it now and looking back and being like, well, no, that is a really nice way to grow up and it's quieter and relaxed but I also feel that way now that I'm living in Brooklyn. I f- when I get off the train and I, like, see the city, I'm like, oh, I feel like I can 
take a breath a little bit. Mm-hmm. Cause I think there's something really exciting when you're first going at it and you're like, I'm going to go to every audition. And like, it's so cool. Cause I just get to go from like 38th street to 46th street and back to 38th. <laughs> and then as you get older, you're like, that's not really a manageable pace to be moving <laughs> at or a healthy pace. <laughs> so I think it is nice to like have something a little more relaxed, but I don't know. We'll see. We're talking about like buying now. So we're like, yeah. where are we going to buy? Like wow. a house or an apartment? I got to put in a plug. Jersey City. People love Jersey City. Yeah. We bought there like a year and a half ago. Right. Yeah. I don't know if it'll be like Jersey City or like deeper into Brooklyn or if we'll yeah. like make that trip to New Jersey or Connecticut or Westchester. I don't know. It's such a weird thing. Like definitely commutable yes. to the city, obviously. But Oh my gosh, it's such a weird, like, whole nother life level. Oh my gosh. Sure. <laughs> when you're like, I'm gonna, am I going to have a house? It's still weird sometimes when I think about the fact that we own our house, like, it feels like I am pretending at something. Yes. Like, pretending at adulting. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel, too, about having, like, my like watching my friends have kids. I'm like, I guess you're just never ready. You just, like, have them and you yeah. figure it out. Yeah. Because it just feels like, I mean, we have two dogs, and I think that's a lot. i mean i'm like on stage playing a 10 year old and then like to come home and think about like having kids or buying a house like that this is what i'm talking about Uh playing a child it's like like, totally it's literally in opposition to everything you're doing because you can't feel the weight of that on stage or you don't read 10 right (laughs) so you're like can't think about taxes yeah and you can't think about all of that stuff yeah yeah it's that is hard to like kind of drop I've been, for me lately, it's like politically. I think like it's hard to drop like the, this like deep sadness <laughs> mm. that I feel a lot of the time yeah. um, because I just want to be doing something more. And I feel so like I'm like okay, well I've signed all these petitions. I've shown up to these marches. <laughs> I've you know donated my time to this. I've sent money here. But like, what else can I do? Um, and I think like that sort of ages you in some way because mm-hmm. there's that sense of innocence and play like isn't always there when you go yeah. into a room you know because yeah. you're like carrying literally the weight of the world so you're feeling all those things and it can be really hard to like cut it off when you're walking in somewhere and I think people go through phases like that in their in the business too where they're like I'm not booking things and I think it's because like I'm just I'm so in my head like some of our best work, I think, happens when we're young. Like, we talk about theater camp all the time and how great we were. But it's not that we were so good. It was just that, like, we had – nobody told us we couldn't do something mm-hmm. yet. So you were like, oh, yeah, House of Bernardo Alba? I got it. I'm 11. It's no big deal. You know, or, like, playing the witch in Into the Woods when you're 15. Yeah, it was great. I was I was the best I've ever been. And it's because, like, people believed in you, and there was no sense of, like – Anybody saying you weren't that type yet or like, right. no, you can't or, um, you know, just all the other things you worry about that really go into booking a job too, like that. Well, if I don't get this job, like, I really don't know what I'm going to do because my unemployment ran out two weeks ago and my babysitting job doesn't pay me enough. And if I work this job, then I don't have the hours to do like a reading or a workshop. So what matters more to me? Am I going to not be able to pay my rent or am I going to be able to be creative right. and I think you bring all that stuff in so it just of course that person who just graduated got that job over you and it's not because they're more skilled or less skilled it's just like they have that buoyancy and that mm. energy they're so excited and I think 
you have to keep that excitement, which is why I said in the beginning, like renegotiating and reevaluating what success is yeah. to you. Because I think that's really the only way to have any kind of longevity. You would just burn out otherwise. Totally. If all you were like, I got to get the job. So, I don't know. <laughs> I think that is very wise. I yeah. like that a lot. And I, I mean, I think, I think you definitely like carry that buoyancy with you too. I, think I try to. It's hard. I think, I'm sure you're this way too. I think like actors tend to be like energy sensitive. So when you walk into a room, like I share a dressing room with all the girls. So it can be hard because like, you know, if someone comes in with like kind of a crazy energy, you're like, okay, I don't want to, totally. I don't want to observe that. But I always find it's just like so much easier and so much better to be the nice person who's easy <laughs> to work with and just like shows up and does their job yeah. peacefully yeah. than to be the person who like puts up a challenge. Right. You know, I just, it's like, I don't know. It, it, people, you'll see people get rewarded for sure in the industry for being difficult. And you're like, I don't know why that worked for them, but huh. it did. And they really, I envy those people sometimes because I think, especially like women in theater, it can be hard depending on the creative team. It can be kind of a boys club and you're like well how much of my opinion am I allowed to voice over this and like I always say like if you're creating a new musical like you kind of get like you might have like 14 battles in your head but you get to pick like two Mm -hmm. that you can really fight for Mm -hmm. so you have to really choose wisely because there's just not enough time um, for the director to deal with all those things because they're dealing with like every aspect of the whole thing and I don't know, I just, but you do, you get caught up and you're like, uh, I just, I don't want to create trouble. Like, at least me, I'm like, I don't want to be that person. I don't want anyone to think I'm difficult, but like, I don't know. It's like the quietest moment of the show. Like, why are we doing a scene change through this? Mm-hmm. Like, uh-huh. and you're wondering why it's not landing, but like, you're moving a bed. You're doing like a three point turn on stage, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know? So you're like, eh, that might be the battle. That might be the one you pick. And then, but there's women I work with who do it really well. And they're like, no, I'm going to stand up to this person and I'm going to voice my opinion and say, like, this is how I feel. And or like, I don't think a woman would say that, but you're a man and you wrote this. So and they're like, no, no, they would say that. I'm like, no, a woman said it to you because she felt uncomfortable saying what we actually want to say. Mm. And that's why you wrote that. (laughs) So but it's not our actual response. So I always think it's like an interesting thing. But. Yeah, I try to be, like, as positive of an energy as possible because the last thing you need ever is, like, to work with miserable people. And I've done it, and nobody likes it. Truly. (laughs) You know, it's just, like, it's bad. Just, it's just bad for everyone involved. And at the end of the day, like, there's always a hurdle, and there's always something to complain about, but, like, you are working. So you have to at least be, like, I'm not, you know, I showed up here today. Someone's paying me on Thursday. That's great. So there's always a positive. If nothing else, it's that, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but it's hard. And people stay in shows for a long time for fear of, you know, not getting other jobs. And it can put them in like a weird place emotionally. So, yeah, yeah. but it's a real thing. We we also have to have a life, (laughs) like pay for things. (laughs) Yeah. So. Well, I definitely think you always do bring a really positive energy every time I've worked with you. Thanks. It's just been a joy to be in the room with you. Thank you. Agree. Thank you.
you too. You guys are always like so positive. <laughs> you guys, we like each other. <laughs> it's so great. Thank you so much for talking to oh, us. Oh yeah, of course, of course. I'm glad you're doing this. Yay! Yay. This theatrical conversation. <laughs> <laughs>